Uh, I was moved this week reading the story of two friends, Andrew and Calixt, in the tiny village of Marambi, Rwanda. These men work side by side every day together in the coffee fields. There, their families share meals together. They even co-pastor the village church together. Andrew preaches and Calixt leads music. But what makes their story so remarkable is that 27 years ago, Calixt murdered half of Andrew's family. In 1994, when genocide broke out in Rwanda for 100 bloody days, Andrew managed to hide his ethnic minority Tutsi wife, but he could not save her family, and Calixt led a gang of Hutu neighbors who slaughtered her parents, siblings, cousins, along with half the village. We spent the last two Sundays in the book of Genesis dissecting the power of forgiveness by looking at the life of Joseph. Forgiveness is powerful and it's hard, but reconciliation is even harder. Remember, forgiveness, we said, is letting go of past offenses. Reconciliation means moving forward into a new future with one's offender. Forgiveness means putting down the gavel when you have every right to sentence your offender. But reconciliation means not just putting down the gavel, but taking off your judicial robes and leaving the courtroom arm in arm and taking your offender out for lunch. It takes power to forgive. It takes supernatural power to reconcile. You'd be hard-pressed to find a single word that epitomizes the gospel, the good news of the Christian faith, better than the word reconciliation. Reconciliation means to bring into harmony or agreement, to restore, to win over to friendliness. Ephesians 2 reminds us that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following Satan, by nature children of wrath, enemies of God. But God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, has made us alive together with Christ. He won us over to friendliness. By grace you have been saved. You have been reconciled. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel that sinners like you and me, we can be reconciled to a holy God through Jesus' substitutionary atoning death in our place on the cross. That's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5 explains that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That means that all of us who are in Christ this morning have been eternally, irrevocably reconciled to God the Father through Jesus, his Son, by the Holy Spirit, so that we might exercise the ministry of reconciliation, convey the message of reconciliation to others who are still far off, separated from God by their sins. Brothers and sisters, we are reconciled 
reconcilers. That's who we are. That's why we're here. Because reconciliation, while it is difficult, and though it requires supernatural power, it also brings with it supernatural power too. The power to heal, the power to restore. Vertically, most importantly, to mend our otherwise severed by sin relationship with God. And as we're going to see this morning, reconciliation also holds the power to repair our horizontal relationships as well with one another. And specifically, we're going to observe the manifold blessings associated with reconciliation as we exposit Genesis chapters 45 through 47 together. That's where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to bless you with one of those as well at the info bar. Last week, we saw Joseph finally let go of his past hurts and grievances against his brothers, forgive them, though they had sold him into slavery in Egypt 22 years before. And this morning, Joseph will not only forgive the past, but he's going to reconcile and he's going to repair those relationships from moving forward. And he's going to enjoy the blessings that accompany that kind of reconciliation. Six blessings, to be exact, that we'll examine. Before we dive in, let's go to the Lord together one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that my words would be few, your words would be many. Your people need to hear from you this morning, not from me. I have nothing to offer them. Jesus, you have everything to offer them. Most importantly, you have salvation to offer, hope, a hope of reconciliation, the reminder for brothers and sisters that they have been reconciled vertically. Now we have repaired relationship with a holy God in spite of our, our sin, in spite of ourselves, because of nothing less than what Jesus, you have done for us on the cross. But God, show us beyond that this morning even what practical implications that ought to have for our own lives, for our own forgiveness and reconciliation, our own relationships. Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage and empower us for a deeper relationship with you and with others? For our good and for your glory, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Number one, first blessing that accompanies reconciliation is the blessing of affluence. Affluence, wealth, prosperity. Now, if you're newer to West Hills, before you get nervous, I'm about to ask you to sow your seed of faith and then fly off on my private jet. Let me assure you, this is not that kind of church. I keep it very coach. But the Bible does actually have quite a bit to say about prosperity. And specifically how often prosperity goes hand in hand with living in right relationship with others. Proverbs 11.24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. In other words, take care of others and God will take care of you. Proverbs 28.25, same idea. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. While it's true that sometimes folks get ahead in life by being cutthroat, stepping on their competition to climb their way to the top, more often than not, I think the people and the companies 
that tend to experience the most success are the ones who value people and learn to work together with them. That's who you want to do business with, isn't it? Truth be told, I don't know anything about business, but I have played a lot of sellers of Catan in my day. I've learned that the longer I can keep up the charade of being a nice guy who's offering mutually beneficial trades to my opponents, delay their realization that I'm beating them all, and they should probably be ganging up on me, the longer I can delay that, the better, because affluence and success tend to follow good relationships. It pays to be nice. That was certainly the case for Joseph's family. They were starving in Canaan during the famine until they reconciled with Joseph. We pick the story back up in chapter 45, verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives. Bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land in Egypt is yours. So verse 21, Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh. gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows 10 donkeys loaded with all the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Like I said, sometimes it pays to be nice. To reconcile, to live in good relationship with others, especially when that other is number two in command of the most affluent nation, the only nation with any food left in the region. That is a guy you want on your side. And Joseph is. He is now not only forgiven the past, he is advocating for his family. Flip ahead with me to chapter uh, 46 now. We're going to jump around just a bit this morning, tracing these six blessings thematically. Chapter 46, verse 31. Joseph said, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen was located on the northeastern edge of the Nile River Delta, even amidst famine and drought. This would have remained the most fertile and grazable land for livestock. It was prime real estate if you were a shepherd. So chapter 47 now, Joseph's family went and they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. Please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Verse 5, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And not only that, listen, if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Not only does Joseph's family secure the best real estate in all of Egypt, but they get put directly in charge of the personal livestock of Pharaoh himself. Why? Because they know a guy. They got friends in high places. Really, they knew him all along. They just needed to recognize it was Joseph and be reconciled to him. Last section of chapter 47, verses 13 through 28. We're not going to read it, but suffice it to say, not only did Joseph's family prosper through their renewed relationship with him, but guess what? So did Pharaoh. 
Chapter 47 describes how savvy businessman Joseph used the famine to acquire for Pharaoh all the money in Egypt, all the livestock in Egypt, all the land in Egypt, and finally the indentured servitude of all the people of Egypt. Man, you thought our government was getting too big, too much centralized power. Pharaoh owned it all, and it's all because of Joseph. And so verse 27 concludes, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. It is good to make friends, to be reconciled, especially with those whom God has blessed. If you are struggling financially this morning, I'm not going to tell you to give your last widow's might to the church, pray on the poor like the Pharisees did. But I would encourage you to go find a friend like Joseph. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth brings many new friends. Any lottery winners out there? Friends, very extended family. Fifth cousins, thrice removed, coming out of the woodworks. It's amazing how much reconciliation a lottery can spark. But on the other side of the coin, if God has blessed you financially, it's so that you can be a blessing to others. 1 Timothy 6 exhorts us, as for the rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Church is a great vehicle for that. We take cash, check, credit, Venmo, Bitcoin. Mark, do we take Bitcoin yet? We'll make it work. Give generously. Reconciliation number two produces the blessing of accord. Accord means proper relationship, harmony, agreement. Back to chapter 45, verse 24. We hear when Joseph sent his brothers away back home to Canaan to bring his father Jacob as they departed... He said to them, do not quarrel on the way. Now remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about the four different ways to interpret any passage of Scripture. A past practical reading of this verse would simply reveal that Joseph cared deeply about maintaining harmony between his brothers now. Now that he has been reconciled with them, he says, look, we're going to turn over a new leaf as a family. We're going to put behind us No more sibling rivalry, no more backbiting and animosity. Can't we all just get along? But I also want to remind you here about the prophetic dimension to the story as well. Jesus said all scripture points us to him. And so this story foreshadows Jesus. He is the better Joseph. And so think about it. Who does that make Joseph's brothers? The sinners who desperately needed his his mercy and grace. That's us, right? We are the brothers. You and me. Brothers and sisters of our forgiving, reconciling Savior. And so I love the practical takeaway for us here. If you read it as an analogy, here's Joseph, the Christ figure, saying, hey, now that we're reconciled, I am sending you out But while you're away from me, until you all stand before me once again one day, I want you to remain unified. No divisiveness, 
Don't quarrel. Do you remember Jesus' last prayer in the upper room before he went to the cross? What did he pray for his followers? That they may be what? One. Father, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me, church. Did you know that our unity is the strongest testimony? It's the single greatest witness that you and I have collectively in this fallen world. When people see Republicans and Democrats, whites and blacks, rich and poor, St. Louis County and city, and every other identity politics marker that the world wants to label us with to try and divide us, when they see us instead coming together every Sunday around the cross of Jesus here at church, the world is forced to ask, what identity marker is holding that group together that's stronger than politics, that's stronger than race, than socioeconomic status, than geography, and the only possible answer is our common identity in Christ. Our accord. Psalm 133.1 declares how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. By contrast, there's nothing sadder than when someone leaves the church because they refuse to reconcile and remain unified when they actually admit to the pastor that their reason for leaving is we had a little falling out with another couple in our life group and now it's just kind of awkward on Sundays. You know how I respond to that? Just to give you a heads up, if any of you ever don't, just lie to me. Make up a much holier reason to leave a church. I ask, so when you have an argument with your spouse, your parents, your kids, is your solution to just go find another family? Because that's how the Bible refers to us. A spiritual family, that's what the church is supposed to be. Or do they not have sinners at the new church you're going to move to? Friends, Jesus is just abundantly clear about this. Matthew 5, if you are offering your gift on the altar, worshiping at church, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift on the altar and go. First, be what? Reconciled. Be reconciled to your brother and then come. I spoke with one of y'all just this past week. Kudos to her because she's only been at the church a few months now. She's starting to get plugged in, serving, and kind of got, got rubbed the wrong way by a conversation with another volunteer here, and she wanted my advice. Should I just switch ministries that I serve in? Again, props for not just leaving the church altogether. It's sad that that's how low we've set the bar, but I told her, listen, whether you continue to serve in that ministry or not, I just think it's a good rule of thumb to try and minimize the number of people that you feel like you want to avoid in the church foyer on a Sunday morning. If you have something against your brother or sister, if they have something against you, go and be reconciled. And look, we've got good folks here. 
most of us aren't going to bite your head off. I probably thank you for coming to them. Romans 12, 16 through 18. Live in harmony with one another. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. By the way, that's good advice not just for the church family. Let me ask you, who do you need to be reconciled with this morning? Who in your family, extended family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, maybe it is the church, who do you need to be reconciled with? Life really is better, isn't it? It's a blessing when your relationships are in accord. I can think of three people personally in my life, used to be in my life, no longer in my life, who if they ran into me at the grocery store, they would ignore me. They would walk right past me without a word. And I don't like that. In fact, if I think about that long enough, it causes me to lose some sleep. In all three cases, I've tried reaching out to the person. But you know what? That's why Scripture says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. I have to make peace with the fact that it's not all up to me. Relationships are a two-way street. You can't unilaterally decide to reconcile with someone. Sometimes all you can do is attempt and then pray that God would soften the other person's heart. And as I said this last week, again, but it bears repeating, not every relationship can be reconciled or should be. If it was broken by the other person's sin and they're not repentant, remorseful, if they're not ready to try and change, then you can still forgive them, but not have a relationship moving forward, at least not in the same way. You're going to have to set up new boundaries in that relationship. We're not going to read chapter 46, verses 5 through 27. It's a genealogical record of all 70 people that Jacob brought with him down to Egypt. But the, the emphasis, once again, the, the, the theme there is on family unity. We're all headed down to Egypt together to be one big happy family again, finally, with Joseph and his family. It's a beautiful thing. Reconciliation and accord. It's a beautiful blessing. Number three, the blessing of anticipation. We won't camp out long here. It's just four verses in the text, but it is one of the sweeter sections in these chapters. Look with me at chapter 45, verses 25 through 28. This is after Joseph sends his brothers back to Canaan. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Can you imagine thinking that your child was dead for 22 years and then discovering he's still alive? The kind of life that that must have breathed into poor, old, downcast Jacob's spirit. Remember, he's been mourning Joseph's 
death for 22 years, way back in chapter 37, after his sons lied to him and told him Joseph was killed, we heard all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. I'm going to mourn him till my death, and even after that. I know some of you have lost children. Polly and I have suffered two miscarriages, and that's enough. I honestly don't know how some of you do it. I don't. I don't think I could. I guess God would just have to give me the strength day by day as he does you. But I imagine the only thing that would keep me going if I lost one of my children is the hope, the anticipation of reunification, of reconciliation, restored relationship. If that relationship was severed, was broken by death, the severest severing of all, it seems so final God's word reminds us that we do not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's a euphemism for death. Don't lose hope, brothers and sisters, even in death, because Christ defeated death to reconcile all things to himself. Number four, how about the blessing of alignment with God? Alignment with God and his will. Chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Jacob needed God's blessing to go down to Egypt. You remember his grandfather Abraham had traveled there against God's will back in chapter 12, and it didn't turn out so great. He came home with a new maidservant named Hagar, and world history has never been the same since. Ishmael, her son, would father the nation of Islam. And so Jacob wants to know that his journey is in alignment with God's will for his life. And I think it's significant here. This is the first time that God has spoken to Jacob in over 30 years. You know, sometimes you you read through the Bible, and it just seems like God is just constantly talking to people all the time. Why, why don't I hear God's voice? Well, because we're covering 2,000 years of Old Testament history, right? In a few chapters. 30 years of silence, God hasn't said a word to Jacob. But God honors Jacob's desire here to seek the Lord's will for his life. And moreover, God honors his desire to be reunited with his son, Joseph, because God loves reconciliation. Reconciliation may not always be God's will for you, for every relationship, but until that becomes really clear, 
it sure seems like it is God's default desire for his people. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Luke 17, 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. 1 Corinthians 7, 10, a wife should be reconciled to her husband. Matthew 5, 23, be reconciled to your brother. Colossians 3, 13, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Time and time again, God calls us not to hold grudges, but rather to move toward one another because our God didn't hold our sin against us, but moved toward us in the person of Jesus. More often than not, that is his will for us, reconciliation. Number five, reconciliation leans to the blessing of affection. The blessing of affection. Again, just a few short verses here, but it's kind of the climax of the whole passage. Chapter 46, verses 29 and 30. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him, 22-year reunion in the making, and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good long while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. Finally, I can die in peace. Actually, Israel won't die for another 17 years after this. But now, unlike most 130-year-olds out there, Jacob's last 17 years will be the happiest of his life because of his great affection for his son, Joseph. A few years ago, I had a big falling out with my sister, so big that she told me she never wanted to speak to me again. And for a few months, she didn't. I actually asked for y'all's prayers from the pulpit. And I still thank those of y'all who were at the church back then and who prayed. Because over time, God softened her heart toward me. And when we did eventually reconcile, our relationship became twice as strong, as close as before. Because there's something special that happens when you see someone else at their very worst and you realize, I still want a relationship with you. Like the real you, warts and all. That's how much I love you. But you know what? I also love you enough to call you on your mess, on your sin. And I'm going to hope that you can still love me enough to listen to the difficult things that I have to say to you, even if you don't like them, even if you don't agree with them. I hope that you love me enough to want to reconcile and move toward one another again. And I really believe that you can only love someone to the extent that you know them. And like it or not, you really get to know someone through conflict, don't you? And if you are blessed enough to come out the other side, reconcile then in my experience, that relationship is usually strengthened. You usually grow in affection for one another by working through strife together. It's a beautiful thing when God allows it, empowers it. Lastly, number six, 
reconciliation offers us the blessing of assignment from God. Assignment from God. What in the world does that mean? Is this just another bad forced pastoral alliteration? couldn't bring myself to ruin the, the, the A pattern, affluence, accord, anticipation, alignment, affection, assignment. Chapter 47, verses 7 through 10. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob Answer to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They haven't even attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. What in the world is going on here? This is God's fulfilling through Jacob of his promise, God's assignment, his calling to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, from all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember what God promised Abraham in Genesis 12? God had covenanted to make Abraham a blessing so that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now think about it. So far, there hasn't been a whole lot of blessing of foreigners, of outsiders, going on in the book of Genesis. Abraham was a curse to the Pharaoh that he encountered in Egypt. Later in chapter 12, he wasn't so much help to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham abandoned Hagar and her family. He was a curse to Abimelech. So was Abraham's son Isaac. Then Isaac's son Jacob caused trouble abroad in Padan Aram for Laban. Then Jacob had a falling out with his brother Esau, who became a whole different nation, the Edomites. And then Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, remember they slaughtered an entire village of foreigners at Shechem. So, so far, this chosen family, supposed to be a blessing to all the nations... Not so much, but here for the first time in the book of Genesis, just three chapters from the end, better late than never, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And don't miss this either. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 7 explains that the inferior is always blessed by the superior. In other words, you've got poor, hungry, decrepit old Jacob here, the shepherd Chapter 46, verse 34, told us that shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. Here is this starving, detestable old man, Jacob, blessing the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. How? Simple. Because Jacob knows God. Jacob knows God and the blessing of a relationship with God is better than any other worldly blessing that Pharaoh might claim. And so Jacob can say the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Sojourning 
it seems like after 130 years, you might consider putting down roots. But Jacob is subtly hinting here to Pharaoh that great truth from Hebrews 13, 14, that I have no lasting city here, but I seek a city that is to come. Pharaoh, if you think 130 years is a long time, that ain't nothing compared to the eternity that lies ahead of me. If you think that 12 sons, dozens of grandkids, more livestock than I can count, the best of the land of Goshen, if you think that's the good life, Pharaoh, psh, that is evil compared to the blessings that lie in store for me. Jacob is humble bragging about how amazingly faithful his God has been and will continue to be for all eternity for him. But here's the thing. How did he even get an audience with Pharaoh to witness to him in the first place? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Do you realize the only reason that Jesus has left us here on earth, Christians, is to witness to others? It's the only reason. It's our assignment. For the few evil days that God leaves us here in a fallen world, everything else that you do all throughout your life, worshiping God, growing in your knowledge and love for him, building your Christian relationships, you will be able to do all of that even more gloriously in heaven one day. The only thing you won't be able to do in heaven is invite dead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so you and I need to ask ourselves this morning, have I let broken, estranged relationships get in the way of completing my assignment from God. You can't tell a sister who you don't talk to about Jesus. You can't show a stepfather who you refuse to visit the love of Jesus. Met with one of you last week, shared her testimony of forgiving and reconciling her husband of decades who had cheated on her and lied to her with her best friend. Forgiving and reconciling him and her, that relationship. Why? Why would, who does such a thing? Someone who gets it. Who gets the assignment. That I might be, clearly they are out of living out of step with God's will. I might be the only Christian who's able to get through and witness to this person. That's supernatural power to reconcile. Listen, all of these blessings, all six of these are now ours eternally in Christ. Affluence, we are now co-heirs with Christ Paul tells us, to all the riches in heaven, 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. 
accord, we now experience harmonious relationship with Almighty God because Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. Romans 5 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's accord. Anticipation, because of Christ, we now get to wait for, get to hope for life eternal in paradise with him one day. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1. Alignment with God's will, not just his will, Christ has aligned us with God himself, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We are one with God through Christ. Affection, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Neither death nor life, nor the, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can now separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Assignment, God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, brother and sister, let me ask you in closing, will you be a reconciled reconciler this week? Will you embrace your God-given assignment this week, the ministry and the message of reconciliation that you have been entrusted with? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Now, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are you going to preach if the relationship is broken? Let's pray.